reading this morning from verse 35. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamp burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, you told this very simple parable to people when you walked this earth. And Lord, you had a practical purpose in their minds of things you wanted to impart to them out of this. Lord, what I ask this morning is that you, by your Holy Spirit, will impart into our lives the truth that you want for us today. Our world is very different to their world, and Lord, you know that. And I pray that by the guidance of your Spirit, you will help us to take truth from this passage today, for it to be built into our lives, that as we step out into that world, we might do so further equipped, further encouraged to serve you more in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin by a question. Something I want you to think about. What does it mean for you to say, I am a Christian? Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Uh, A few weeks ago, Glenda and I were uh, on a cruise on the Rhine River, a gift from a precious friend. With Sunday coming, knowing that there wasn't exactly provision for uh, worship on board the boat, I spoke to the cruise manager and said, uh, look, I'm a Christian minister, and if there are any folk on this vessel who would like to have an hour of Christian fellowship on Sunday afternoon, I'd be happy to lead it. Well, she said, oh, we'll do that. You can have the back lounge. Oh, it might not be big enough. I said, how many is it seat? She said, oh, only 35. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> well, as it turned out, there were Glenda and I plus three others. Now, it was interesting to sit with those folk and just for a little while reflect on, on our faith. We had a couple of uh, churchgoers who I'm pretty sure their name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There was another guy there who had that vibrancy about him. And it was interesting to to talk with these people and and just to share that for a little while and, and not directly ask them the question, but indirectly, why do you go to church? Why do you call yourself a Christian? And you know, there's an awful lot of people out there. We were another day sitting uh, somewhere and and talking. No, no, that was on a gondola going up the the slopes of Ben Nevis or something or other last week. And and the couple on the other side of the gondola said, what do you do? And we said, well, we're Christian missionaries. And the lady said, oh, I go to church. And we sort of pumped a little bit and we thought, "Mm, what does it mean to us? 
You know, it's one thing to say, I'm a Christian. To say, I belong to the family of God. But what does that really mean for us? How does that statement of, I am, I go, translate into, who am I? Not only here, but far more importantly, out there. One of the most common things said of Christians in Australia is, ah, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Because people in the world are so used to seeing people who say, I'm a Christian, and watching them do a whole bunch of things that, although they've never read the Bible, they somehow know a Christian shouldn't do that. Sort of like there's this little thing written in their heart. Because if the things we hold and believe here are not being translated into the depths of who we are that flow out of us out there, then sorry, friends, we rightly carry the name of hypocrite. Are we still alive? We are. That's good. Okay, aha, that's better. Don't worry about it, Andy. We'll fix it later. So let, let's just follow through on this thinking for a little bit. Of, you know, why am I here today? Why have I taken time out on this morning when, frankly, bed would be an awful lot warmer and there are other things I could think to do? Why am I here? Is it the love of worship? Is it the enjoyment of people who I know love and appreciate me? Is it well, that I hope that God might speak in some way. I'm sure we've all come with slightly different variances and all of that. You know, in Africa, one of the things we find is that people often come to church because they hope that today's the day I'm going to get my miracle. Today's the day I'm going to get my AIDS healed. Or today's the day that somehow miraculously God's going to drop into my lap the school fees to pay for my kids' school that are hopelessly overdrawn. Why do we live this Christian life? Why do we fellowship in the family of God? Why do we dare to put up the flag that says, I am a Christ's one? You know, I think there's some questions that we need to think about, and not just now, but to ponder deeply inside who we are, because those questions are very, very important. And here's the simple fact. If we are claiming the name of Christian, if we are saying to the world, I belong to the Christ, it must only be because Jesus Christ reigns at the center of our lives. And if he's reigning there, and our lives are literally on a platter for him, then we've come to the core of what it means to say, I'm a Christian. Okay? Being a Christ's one, and that's what the word Christian means, means that I have made the decision that Jesus Christ will have first place in everything. Who I am, what I do, what I have, what I hold, my attitudes, my thoughts, my actions, my passion must be that he has first place. And anything less than that is mere religion. You know, we live in a world full of people who've got religion. 
one of the interesting conversations I had with our tour manager uh, on the, the cruise down the Rhine River. And one day he said to me, Gavin, can you explain to me what the difference is between a Christian and a Jew, between Christianity and Judaism? Very interesting question. We actually were able to walk into a synagogue. And progressively through the the journey, he kept plying me with questions. And I finally said to him, Ken, you know what the real issue is? The issue is one of relationship. You can settle for religion or you can have a relationship. Got that? You can settle for religion or you can have a relationship. Have you got a real relationship with Jesus? Jesus took this little parable. Now, parables are simply stories that fitted into the culture of the day that people would understand. It was an illustration. So what Jesus did here was he took a picture that would be very common. Okay, here's a master with uh, large estates, servants, etc. And he says... The master has gone away. Hmm, Maybe he's gone to a wedding. That man's servants need to be ready so that even if he comes home at 2, 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, that when he knocks on the door, he doesn't have to stand there pounding. The moment he taps, the door is open. There's one of his servants dressed and ready for service with his lamp burning, ready to show the master to his bedroom. And Jesus took that little parable and and when he told the story, that would have immediately generated a whole lot of things that people understood. They, They would have understood the rich man with his lands, with his servants, yes, expecting to come home at any hour finding people ready. And Jesus prefaced that little story with these words, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamp burning. Mm. I want us to think about that this morning. What does it mean for you and me as Christians in this generation, living in this place, or in Budgiewoy in Australia where we live, or when God takes us into Africa? What does it mean to be dressed, ready for service, And I like the extra bit, with the lamp burning. Now, we could purely look at this passage and look down at the the last verse, verse 40, where it says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. Ah, okay, that's second coming. Jesus is talking about the second coming. And I think there's there's a truth in that. There's no question that that's, that's one of the things in his mind. And there is this concept that we need to be ready because Jesus is coming again. We all know that, don't we? Now, we could have a million hours of discussion about how we think it's all going to happen. You've got pan-millennialists, pre-millennialists, post-millennialists, a-millennialists. I call myself a pan-millennialist. You've never heard of one of them, have you? Yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah. it's all going to pan out somehow. He knows how. All that stuff doesn't matter. We haven't even had that conversation, have we, Phil? (laughs) You know why? Because it really doesn't matter. 
All I know is this, Jesus is coming again. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be in a year's time, it could be 10 millenniums time. But so long as I live on this earth until the day he takes me home, he wants me to be ready. You see, I can't afford to let my guard down for a moment because he will come at an hour you do not know. Before I go any further, let me ask the question. Are you here today and you're not really sure that if Jesus were to come today and you found yourself standing before him, would you be ready? Have you given your life to him? Have you invited him to become the Lord and Savior of your life? Because you know when he comes, it's not going to be a matter of how many hours I've spent in church or how much I've done for you, God, or how much I've done for others. You know, the only question that's going to matter, what have you done with Jesus? That's the only question that will matter. And if your life has been given to him and he's the center place of your life, then you're ready. The other bits can follow on. And so this morning, if, if you've not come to that place where you're ready to stand and look at him face to face, then we'd love to pray with you at the end of this service and help you to understand how you could know that. But there's this sense of being ready for whatever he has. Let me illustrate what I, what I mean. I was in Zambia and, and uh, Pastor Phil has talked with you about our friends, Reverend Leiden Pensalu and Pastor Jack Kayambwe. Uh, and they are two of the key leaders of this network of 600 churches. Leiden is the, as I say, the apostle. He's the, they call him the director of ministries, but I'm gradually helping to understand that he really has the gift of the apostle. And he's beginning to see it. And Leiden has been saying to me for about the last three years as we visit their Dr. Gavin, would you please bring salt schools to Zambia? And I've been saying, no, no, no. I've had some very good reasons for saying no, because I didn't want to tread on the toes of another mission organization who were working there and didn't want to, to, to be seen to be steaming in where others felt they had their work and I felt God had given us a particular work. And I can remember in May this year, Glenda and I were away with Leiden down, way down near Lusaka in a place called Malambanyama. We were doing a, a conference for about 40 or 50 pastors and leaders and having a great time. And one evening we're sitting in the, in the guest house and Leiden said to me, Gavin, will you please pray about something? And he said, I don't want your answer now. I thought, uh-oh, all right, what's coming here? Have I done something wrong? He said, Gavin, please, will you pray about bringing the salt schools to Zambia? Well, I didn't listen to what he'd said because immediately I said no for exactly the same reasons I'd said no before. He said, brother, you don't understand. And he began to explain a whole set of things to me. He said, please, will you pray about it? Now, if I looked at my year's program for next year at that point, there was no space in it. It was already full. Twelve months ahead, I can almost tell you what day we're going to take off from Australia, what date we're going to get home, what will be the dates of the various schools and the different places. Would you like your life to be that organized? It can be a challenge at times, let me tell you. And suddenly he says, please, will you come and have a major involvement in our churches? And Glenda and I went back to our room that night, and I can't just remember, I'm sure we prayed together about it in some way, that's our normal habit. And we talked, and by the next morning, the Lord had said to me, Gavin, this is what I want you to do. So suddenly there had to be a massive rethink of how in the world we could put three months more work into a year that was already full. 
And I said, Lord, Lord, how do we do this? And the Lord said, be ready. On that occasion, what the Lord was saying to me was this, I want you to be dressed and ready for service. I want that lamp burning so that if I appear to change the direction of what you think you're doing, you're ready for it. You know, sometimes, friends, we make our plans. And, and we make our plans looking heavenward and saying, well, Lord, I want to do what you want, but this is where I think I'm going. And there's kind of with this one hand in heaven and, and we have the best of intentions. And, and we get this idea and we think that, yeah, this is what God wants me to be doing. And, and you know, we've faced this as pastors in churches. Sometimes we lead off with the church and we say, well, this is where God's taking us and we believe this is what God's saying. And we get part of the way down the track and the Lord says, yeah, you got the general direction right, but take a right turn here. It's very embarrassing to stand up in front of the church and say, well, folks, we had it almost right, but... But you know, sometimes those sort of things happen. Why? Because we are all human. But one of the things I have learned in my life and ministry is this, I've got to be ready for Jesus, not for him to change his mind. And please, when something like that comes up, don't stand up and tell the church, God changed his mind, because God never changes his mind. Be prepared to say, I thought I had it right, but the Lord's shown me there's a bit of a tuning here. Be ready for that time when the Lord speaks to you and says, you thought that was where I wanted you, but in fact it's here. And when that happens, be big enough to say, I got it wrong. But if our heart's tuned and if we're dressed and ready and our lamp is burning, we're listening God can bring those fine tunings and sometimes even those radical changes in direction to us and we're ready to step in. He knows where he wants to take us. Sometimes I've discovered this. There are times, and we had this experience, we had a major conference in Zambia in September and I had one guy booked up to be the speaker, to be one of the speakers. I had the guys from Uganda coming and I had someone else coming and for months we were talking about this and it was all in place. Two weeks before, I got an email from him saying, I'm sick, I've got to have surgery, I can't come. Where in the world am I going to find someone who's prepared to come to Africa at his own expense at two weeks' notice? Well, you have that initial human reaction. And as Glenda and I talked about it, and some other things began to unfold, and I began to see why God was changing this, and I thought, well, why didn't God show me this six months ago? I don't know. I just had to be ready. And in fact, God did have someone else he wanted there, and Pastor Brian from Australia came along with us, a guy who's very, very much like Phil, and... uh, he slotted into the ministry there and just did a brilliant job. And the people fell in love with Pastor Brian, just like they have in Uganda. But you know, if I'd have asked his church six months before, they'd have said, look, he's already going to Uganda with you in May and you want him again in September. Hang on, who's he work for, us or you? But the way God did it, there was not a problem. And you look back and you say, hmm... All I got to do is keep my heart tuned to what God is doing. 
Yes, sometimes I get it wrong. And when I do, I've got to be big enough to put my hand up and say, Honey, I got it wrong. Not easy for a man to say, is it, guys? (laughs) But you know, sometimes we have to. Dressed and ready for service so that when the Lord says, This is what I want you to do. But Lord, I'm so... No, Lord, okay. I don't know how I'm going to reorganize it, but if that's what you want, we'll do it. What about ready for a special visitation of God? Mm. You know, we used to say of one particular branch of our denomination, uh, when I was a young pastor, we used to say that they were so well organized that if the Holy Spirit withdrew, it would take them 20 years to find out. That's a bit scary, isn't it? What happens if you've, you've got your life all nicely mapped out and suddenly the Spirit of God appears to you in some way? What about a visitation of angels? What about a visitation of Jesus? I can tell you it's wonderful to meet people who've had a visit from the Lord Jesus and just watch how their lives have been radically transformed. But what if there comes a a manifestation of God to you, a a word, an affirmed word of prophecy. Ah, you notice the little word I used there, that affirmed word of prophecy? Just because someone walks up to you and says, Pastor Phil, I got a word from God for you, that is not an affirmed word of prophecy, okay? An affirmed word of prophecy is one that has been through the leadership, has been tested and affirmed to be a true word from God and then is passed on to you with their authority. So beware if someone walks up and says, this is from God for you. My standard reaction when someone does that is, take it to the leadership, let them test it, and if they believe it's from God, they'll pass it on to us. They look at you. Well, you see, I want it affirmed. But when an affirmed word comes, and sometimes it does, are we ready to make the changes that God wants us to make? Or what about ready in the area of finances? Oh, hang on. Visiting preachers aren't supposed to talk about finances. Well, I'm going to. Because it's a vital part of God's work. Now, let's get very clear. Your tithe belongs where? Right here. Okay? You bring your tithe into the storehouse. Our tithe belongs in our church back in Australia. When we go home... What has come into our salary area while we're away will be deposited where it belongs, in the storehouse in which we worship. And there are the offerings and things as well. But what about those times when God puts his hand on your shoulder and says, I want you to do something here? And you sort of, hang on, Lord. You know, things are a bit tight at the moment. I can't do that. I had a beautiful little thing happen to me in Uganda. Pastor Phil, remember at, at King of Kings, when we were in the Salt School, just down beside that little building, there was a little tiny store. Did you see that little store just down there? Just a lady who's a cripple has started a little tiny store that people who come onto the King of Kings property can pick up a packet of biscuits or a banana or a cup of tea or something. And one day I'd had enough of African food, which I get to the stage of that after about two weeks. Um, and uh, I just didn't feel like another dose of matoki and rice and posho and all the other stuff. What do I need? I need a banana. And I could see some bananas hanging down at this little store. I thought, good, I'll go and get Glenda and me a banana. So I went down there and I said, how much for the bananas? And she said, 100 shillings each. That's, what did we work that out? About 2 or 3p? 
something like that. I said, oh, great, thank you, I'll have two of those. And one of our students was standing there and he said, Dr. Gavin, I want to pay for that. Now, if you understand the Ugandan context when everyone thinks, who is going to give to me? For that pastor to offer to pay for those bananas was like the widow's might, you know, that the widow put in the temple and Jesus. I thought, wow. Now, three or four P, what's the matter? Hey, it was an incredible thing. That young man was learning what it was to be ready. I can remember being in a church back in Australia in the middle of this year, a place called Stanthorpe. It's one of Australia's coldest places. You know, in, in, when you live in Queensland, the northern state, and they give the weather forecast, it's always Stanthorpe that's going to be the coldest place in the state. And we were there in the middle of winter, and we were ministering in a church. At the end of the service, a young lady came up to me and said, Dr. Gavin, I believe God's calling me to be a missionary. I said, oh, that's wonderful. What are, you, what are you doing to get ready? She said, oh... Um, you know, I'm planning to go to YWAM next year. I, but she said, I haven't got any money. I said, have you started saving? She said, oh, well, not yet. I haven't been able to. I said, okay, this is what you do. You start a storehouse. You start a bank account into which you start to put stuff ready for this. Oh, okay, she said. I said, let me pray for you. And while I'm praying for her, the Lord said to me, give her what's in your wallet to go in the storehouse. And I'm thinking, we're a thousand kilometers from home. Um, there's not a huge amount in my wallet, but a little more than I normally carry. Um, you know, you make all these excuses. And then I remembered I'd been preaching on being ready for Jesus. <laughs> when I finished praying for her, I took out my wallet, took everything that was in it. It was about 100 bucks Australian, about 60, p- 60 pounds, and gave it to her and said, there's the seed to start your storehouse. She looked at me. I said, come on, you would believe God wants you to be a missionary? Get ready. You know, what I didn't know was about the same time someone handed Glenda an envelope that had $500 in it. That was about the best return on any investment I ever made. (laughs) But you see, God's like that. If you are ready for God, and I want to challenge you to make provision so that when God says, do something, you can do it. Okay? Our apostle, the guy who who is apostolic oversight of our ministry, challenged Glenda and I three or four years ago to start a storehouse. He said, you will be amazed what God will do with that storehouse. And so, you know, we slip bits and pieces, little extra gifts we get or whatever that we don't need personally. We put in there. And when God says, do something, it's there ready to do. Very practical. But it works. And so the Lord will say to us, I want you to sow something in there. I don't have to ask, can we afford it? Why? Because I know it's in the storehouse, ready. What I'm trying to get across to you, friends, is the importance of living a lifestyle that is ready to respond to the promptings of the Spirit of God, that is the voice of Jesus, in any area at any time. Now, we have the right to ask a question. We don't just get some crazy way off the wall idea and jump in both feet. No, there's always the right to ask. Is this consistent with the Word of God? Does this seem like something the character of Jesus would ask me to do? If I do this, will it be consistent with holiness and godliness and unrighteous living? We've got the right to ask those essential test questions. But if we come up with a tick, 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 
and we're sure in our hearts that this is indeed the voice of Jesus speaking, then obey. Obey. And you know what you will discover? You will discover that the breath of God is leading you step by step, day by day. You know, it's this whole thing of keeping your lamp burning. And the, the only reason the lamp keeps burning is because there's oil in the pot to feed the wick. Okay? You got, are you getting what I'm saying? A heart that is ready. And so you're walking through a shopping center somewhere and the Lord says, see that person in tears over there at that table? Go and pray with them. But Lord, I couldn't possibly do that. I got onto an airplane one night, one of the few occasions in my life I've ever flown first class. We didn't pay for it, I can tell you that. <laughs> one of my dear friends who was a businessman and has lots of frequent flyer points um, booked this ticket for me to get back to Australia. Glenda had had a, an operation and I needed to get home and, and be with her. So instead of turning left, uh, turning right in the aircraft entrance, I turned left and, and wow, up into this regal world of first class. I sat down in my seat and I'm looking around these totally unfamiliar surroundings and I realized the lady beside me was crying. And I didn't say anything for a minute or two, but the Spirit of God prompted me. And I reached out and I touched her hand and I said, excuse me, it's obvious you're deeply distressed. I'm a Christian minister. Can I be of any help? And she said, yes, we're racing home to Australia to see my father. And just as I got on the plane, we got a mobile phone message to say he's just died and I've missed seeing him. Mm. And there, sitting in first class, I understood why Jesus had me there. To be there, to reach out a hand of love and compassion. I said to her, I don't have much to offer you, but can I pray with you? She said, oh, yes, please, would you? Now, I didn't have much. She went back after we took off. She went back and sat with her husband who found a seat in business class. And uh, at the end of the flight, she came back up into first class and she said, Pastor, thank you. You don't know what that meant. Now, it was a little thing. I could have said, None of my business, just mind your own business, Gab, you know. Her tears are her business. And, you know, sometimes you'll reach out like that and people will say, it's none of your business. Okay, get your face slapped, that's fine. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek, risk it again sometime. <laughs> Be ready. Have a heart that says, Lord, I belong to you. You are the centerpiece of my life. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter what the situation, I want to live in a way that is open so that when you breathe, I hear it and I'll do what you want. Now, how do I live that life? Are there some simple things that will help me as an individual to be in that place in the spirit where I can live like that. Let me give you three very simple principles that I believe will help you uh, just day by day to be ready for that. Number one, maintain your daily relationship with Jesus. Maintain your daily relationship with Jesus. You need some time in his word some time in prayer. Now, I use the word daily. In fact, I say to my students, and I said to someone yesterday just here, you know, we're all human. If you hold this everyday thing over your head, 
it becomes like a bit like a rod and not a joy. I say to our students, aim for five out of seven. If you get five days a week out of the seven, when you get some time to sit and be alone with Jesus, you're doing real well. If you get six, man alive, you're getting into the super spiritual quality. If you get seven out of seven, you're like Enoch, you know, the one who God took because he was too holy for this world. <laughs> now, okay, I, I'm being a bit silly there. But it's important to feed your spirit. You'll never be rightly tuned to his voice and to the promptings of the spirit if you're not feeding your spirit with the word of God and in prayer. And look, even if you can only grasp 15 minutes before you race out into that crazy world, take that 15 minutes. Over here on the, on the book table, you've got the, uh, the resource table, you've got the word for today. Okay? This is one of the best devotional journey uh, booklets that you will find anywhere in the world. Glenda and I use it ourselves. In fact, Pastor Phil, I need to confess, we took two copies because the one we've got have run out, but I figured they were free. So. <laughs> okay, now it won't take you more than 15 minutes to read the passage of scripture, to read the word for today and have a few minutes in prayer. And if you can do nothing more than that, you've set yourself up for the day. But I tell you something will happen. You start doing that and you know what will happen? Gradually you want more and more time. I warn you, you'll want more and more. Something will change in your life when you do that. And you'll step out there having heard him in the secret place. And when you've heard him in the secret place, you'll be much better tuned to hear him when you're out there in the public place. Number one then, develop your daily relationship with Jesus. Number two, keep your heart open to God. Don't lock God up in little boxes that says God always does this in this way and that in that way and that in that way. You know what I discovered? God loves to smash open those little boxes. He really does. Sometimes he will ask you to do things that seem absolutely wild, stupid. But if he's got his purposes... And you've checked out, you know, those basic questions. Is it consistent with the word? Is it consistent with holiness and righteousness? Does this really sound, and if I do this, will it lead me into righteous, godly living and develop others? In God? If you get those sort of answers to those sort of questions, you say, okay, here we go. Seems crackers to me. All right. Keep your heart open for God. Be prepared for change. What does the scripture say? His mercies are new every morning. Yep, they really are. And if you're living this kind of life that's dressed and ready for service and your lamp's burning, you'll be ready when he whispers. I was um, some about 20 odd years ago in a, in a particular a parachurch ministry. I was the state director for an organization and we'd got to a stage where we were financially in such a bad state I was about to ring the chairman of the board and say we've got to close the doors we cannot legally operate any longer and as I was about to pick up the phone and ring him the telephone rang and it was a guy I knew a businessman and he said uh, hi Gavin what were you doing at 10 o'clock yesterday morning and I thought and I said oh Glenda and I were praying he said I figured so he said you've got problems haven't you I said, how do you know? He said, God told me. He said, I'm coming in and when I get there, I want to know everything 
exactly as it's happening. Wow. He walked into my office and he said, right, where are we at? Well, you know, end of the month, we don't have the money to pay the bills and, and wages and this and that. And he said, how much? And I looked at the piece of paper my secretary had given me and I, I think it was a couple of thousand dollars or something. He said, oh, that all. And he reached into his little handbag he was carrying and one of these man bag things and pulled out a bundle of notes and said, there you are. Oh. I said, we better get this guy a cup of coffee, I think. <laughs> and my secretary was making a cup of coffee and we're sitting there and he said, Gavin, God won't let me go. What haven't you told me? He was a guy who was reading. Maybe he's talking about the motor car. He said, what do you mean the motor car? Oh, I said, our car's just about finished. He said, what's the situation? I said, well, here's the mechanic's report. He looked at it and he said, you're still driving that lump of junk? I said, um, yes. He said, what's it worth? I said, oh, about $2,000. He said, what's a new car going to cost? I said, oh, about $22,000. He said, how much have you got? And I said, Nothing. He said, you need 20,000. I said, I guess so. Well, three weeks later, I picked up the new car. And he was there with me for about two hours. And he kept saying, God won't let me go. What haven't you told me? God won't let me go. What haven't you told me? And by the time he walked out of my office two hours later, every need of that moment had been met. There was a guy who was ready for Jesus. Now, he had the ability to do it. And he was ready. Now, ordinary folk like you and I can't do that kind of stuff. I wish we could. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Hey? Wouldn't that be fantastic? But he was ready for Jesus. Okay, number one, daily relationship with him. Number two, keep your heart open to God. Number three, actively look for God's opportunities. Okay? Actively look for God's opportunities. Look for places that you can sow in something. I don't have time this morning to talk with you about the principle of the seed. But every time you sow in something, regardless of how small it is, it becomes a seed that God can multiply. That pastor's two bananas was a seed. I don't know what God's going to do with that, but he's going to bless that guy his two bananas and I've watched little things done by people with limited resources and watched how God can multiply and it's not always money sometimes it's that reaching out to the person in need with a helping hand sometimes it's 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 seeing a neighbor down the street whose yard looks a mess and realizing that there's sickness in the family and saying can I mow your lawn for you Sometimes it's, it's as simple as saying to the neighbor next door, look, can I take you to the shops? I, I know it's a long way for you to walk at the moment. Making a cake for someone who's just moved into the house across the street or taking a meal round for Terry and June, Linda this week. You know, that's all sowing into the kingdom. It's all seed. Look for God's opportunities, not just to bless within the family of faith, but to bless out there. And people will not understand, but I tell you, it'll touch them. Okay? 
Develop your daily relationship with Jesus. Keep your heart open to God. Look for God's opportunities. If you begin to live like that, you're going to keep that little lamp burning. Dressed. What's it say? Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamp.